Hello and welcome along to the RTE Rugby Podcast, the Grand Slam edition, Ireland's senior and under 20 sides completing a dominant championship in style at the weekend. 29-16 winners against England on Saturday for the men's team and then the 20s won 36-24 on Sunday also against England, a second Grand Slam in a row for them. The Women's Six Nations also starts this weekend. Ireland away to Wales in their opening game on Saturday afternoon. That's live on RT2 and RTE Player. In this pod, we will be concentrating on the Grand Slam of the weekend just gone. But if you do want some preview material ahead of the Women's Championship, I'll be speaking to Fiona Coughlin. We will have a second podcast just on that coming tomorrow. So join us tomorrow if you want to hear a little bit more about the Women's Six Nations. But for now, Bernard Jackman and Ian Keatley are with me this week. And Birch, a fourth Grand Slam for Ireland, third in the last 15 campaigns. And I think the general consensus is that this is the most impressive of the bunch. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think in terms of depth, uh, not being over-reliant on, on any uh, player, really, even even Johnny Sexton, I think we now feel that we have uh, back up to him. Obviously, it mightn't be the same level, but... Uh, the injuries we had during the the competition, the injuries we had before the competition, the manner of the victories as well. I mean, we were all we were never really that worried about uh, winning games during games as such. Obviously, Scott in the halftime touchy, but we were pulling away at the end. The only game we didn't get a bonus point uh, t- uh, for four tries. So uh, definitely for me, the the best. Having said that, I think it's a, there's two tiers to the Six Nations at the moment. There's some you know England England were a bit better at the weekend, but English rugby, Welsh rugby is in a very bad place um, but this Irish team um, the manner in which they play the style of rugby uh, what they've done previously obviously going to New Zealand beating South Africa and Australia being number one in the world everything points towards being the best Irish team of all time I think mm-hmm. and Keats the big winner of this championship is yourself you called the Grand Slam in the preview pod who's, who's going to win the World Cup now this now that you're on a roll. <laughs> you're putting pressure on me there already. No, listen, um, I, I just couldn't see past Ireland exactly the points that Birch made there. Like, England weren't in a great place. Either were Wales. You we weren't really threatened with Scotland and, and Italy, even though they are improving, but they're still where they are. Um, and I just felt Ireland beating France at home would definitely... It was just going to favour us uh, a lot this year. So it was all pointing towards a grand slam. Um, with the World Cup... Listen, I think it's going to be a completely different animal. Like, you, you know, you just know South Africa are looking on at that, trying to figure out ways how they're going to beat us. Same with New Zealand. They're going to be greatly improved. Um, Argentina always show up at World Cups. Like, it's, it's, it's actually leading to what's going to be, I think, one of the best World Cups where you have six, seven, eight teams who are going to be probably competing for a World Cup who all think going into it that they can win it. Yeah, and like I know we complain about the the World Cup draw and the way it's lopsided, but that's probably actually going to make it even more exciting in the earlier stages. But Birch, on on the game at the weekend, Ireland 29-16 winners, an error-strewn performance from Ireland, handling mistakes all over the place, some incredibly uncharacteristic shanked kicks from like Hugo Keenan and Johnny Sexton, Mac Hansen early on in the game as well. But even after 55 minutes, it was a 10-9 game and Ireland were still looking very, very ropey. Did you have any real doubts that Ireland were going to finish the job? Because I watched the match last night again and I know it's with the benefit of hindsight, but I just, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see 
what England were doing to really, really trouble Ireland. And it, it just felt like all Ireland needed was 10 minutes of decent control and being switched on and they probably would have seen it out. Yeah, no, I think obviously it wasn't uh, convincing because of the amount of handling errors we made and support kicking. And we got turned over a couple of key rooks as well. Um, our breakdown work wasn't as, as, as slick as it normally is. But you could see us asking like the right questions of England. You could see opportunities, holes opening up. So you kind of just, for me anyway, I felt as long as Ireland didn't go into their shell, and try and you know um close out the game ten nine or 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 thirteen nine that we we would find the the opportunity to score and um obviously then once we got that that second try um after a very touchy third quarter you know which was a lot of kicking England kicked very well I thought Owen Farrell that you know played a very smart game considering they were down to fourteen um but then once we got that Robbie Henshaw uh, try and Johnny converted it. You know, it opened up then, and we we kind of felt found our rhythm, and and we're finding holes everywhere. And I think even against fifteen men, we would have won. Mm-hmm. Um, but Farrell and Johnny Sexton, you know, who I both heard say, you know, wasn't a great performance. Um, I don't think it was. I think it's probably maybe our worst performance of the, of this of the season. Um, now England first turned up. There was a far better English team in terms of being physical, being emotionally present than they were against France the week after, and we expected that. But, um. Ireland didn't play well and still, you know, won with, with a bonus point. So, um, that's probably that's probably a testament to the the standards we were holding them to at the moment. Hundred percent. And and Keats, if there were any slight doubts about whether Ireland would see it out, the 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 Robbie Henshaw try just after the hour mark that pretty much killed us. Yeah, because just leading up to that to that try, I think England had a mall inside our half, and it was ten nine, and then Ryan Bird got a got a great turnover, which. Uh, we kicked up the field and then funny enough, like we always talk about England's kicking game, that all uh, Henshaw's trying try came from Sexton's crossfield, crossfield kick slash kick to the corner, which led to a five meter scrum, which led to uh to two phases come back then on the blind and, and Henshaw um scoring a try. So we, we talk about England's kicking game, but it's actually we always applaud Ireland's um handling and ability to play, but it came from a kick to got us in into that position. Uh, which led to the try. So, um, I I just the reason on that point is like we we have multi multi aspects to our game now. We don't we're not. I think back in two thousand and eighteen, we we're kind of reliant on our contestable kicking game with um with Joe Schmidt three phase attacks and creating opportunities and scoring. But just with this Irish team, it's like we can handle anything now. We we can change our game plan. We can go to a kicking game. We can go to a running game. I think most of our tries came from counter attack, and um, we've got a very good set piece um, mall. But also we can we can attack off it like we saw with um, Sheehan's try. And it's just you're just trying to look at weaknesses in this Irish team, and it's it, it's very hard to see them. And it, it's kind of it's it's exciting to watch. It's kind of like watching Manchester City or Liverpool play like at their peak. Like they they're just so creative. Are United United at their peak? Well, they're coming back now. So yeah, <laughs> historically, historically, historically United, United in six months' time. The, cla- the class of '92. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, on it's like it's a good point on the the kicking stuff, Birch, because it it wasn't just a factor with Robbie Henshaw's try where Sexton puts up that that big kick, catches Anthony Watson with the bounce, and you have you've Robbie Henshaw, Jimmy O'Brien, and 
Um, I'm forgetting who the other player was that came. Uh, Mac Hansen, sorry, came up and made the hit, forced them over the line. But if you look back throughout the tournament, yeah. uh, very first try of the championship in the opening minutes in Cardiff, kicked out. You know, Ireland get the ball wide. James Lowe puts a kick down, and it's himself. And I think it was Gary Ringrose bundle a Welsh player out out into touch, and that gives him the five meter line out. And we saw it was a similar tactic they used throughout the championship. Look at Mac Hansen against Scotland last week with Gibson Park putting up that big kick. Big chase, Hansen wins it in the twenty-two, and and Ireland end up scoring off the back of it. Like they they kick very smartly, but the the work rate of the the chasing players has been outstanding. Yeah, they do, and they kick they kick quickly. So they kick um on the edges. We've seen James Lowe kick so often. We see Gibson Park when he makes a little half break, he's looking to find a grassy behind. But even that one against Scotland, that Mac Hansen now jumps short hog that eventually led to the try for James Lowe, which broke Scotland to a certain extent. Like the speed, I mean, that was a line out just outside the 22. The speed that Gibson Park goes to the box kick. Whereas, think back to under Joe, and, and it's not a problem. Under Joe was very much a case of, you know, get good length on your, on your rook. Connor gets set, organize your kickers, your chasers, and then really good, accurate box kick from Connor Murray. And we were better at getting past that kick escort than anyone else. And, you know, we were able to get ball the ball back. Whereas teams have worked on that kick escort now. Uh, referees are putting pressure on the nine to kick quicker um, and opposition are better in the fair. So when Ireland kick, they're generally kicking to a, a space. So even the one that we're talking about against Scotland, it's in no man's land. Hogg has to come for it. You know, it's not because um, he has other areas to cover as well. So it's very, very intelligent and normally very accurate. There's a few missed kicks at the weekend. But that, as Keith says, Ireland have a lot of variety to play and, you know, we've seen a lot of blindside attack Um. We have we've seen be able to play wide, wide. We've seen be able to power up the middle, um, like Hugo Keenan did against uh, against Italy for his try off the off the line out. So I know that we're good when we get five meters out. Our pick and go game is is, is very strong as well. So it, it's the variety we have to our um to our game at the moment, which I suppose is uh must be very pleasing for for the coaching staff. And fitness seems like it's a point of difference with this team as well. I know, I know. England were playing a had played twenty minutes with fourteen men at that stage. But looking back at Robbie Henshaw's try again, I know we've spoken about that one specifically, but that seemed to be the try that kind of broke the game open. But Ireland obviously win the or Ireland win the five meter scrum, and even though England kind of had their tails up only a few minutes earlier, just those two three phases leading up to to Henshaw going over, it looked like the English players were absolutely gassed and absolutely out in their feet and there were gaps all of a sudden opening up all over the 22 and it's the the work rate and fitness it seems that gives Ireland the opportunity where on days when there's a lot of balls not going to hand there are uncharacteristic uncharacteristic mistakes being made that it's that fitness and work rate that allows them to win games when they're not necessarily playing to 100 percent yeah I know I know Joe Schmidt was mad on fitness he said like um what he said, what did he used to say? His his fatigue makes a coward out of all of us, or or something on those lines. But like, it's, I it's, must be a I must be a complete coward. <laughs> I'm a coward too. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I just know it's so it started with him. But I know Andy Farrell just when he used to be in that environment when he used to talk about he was obviously defense coach back then. But he used to like expect like guys to get up the floor off the floor and sprint into position and i know at the moment they talk about this next level of fitness so okay there's fitness there's the next level of fitness and if you want to get into position if you want to get set early 
uh, in attack or in defense, you need to be at an unbelievable fitness uh, peak, like more than any other team. And I know we're probably going to touch on this, but we're going to talk about Ireland's defense. And a lot of like yellow cards and red cards come from defenders being so tired and fatigued that they just lose their technique. Um, they're sloppy with their entry or they just haven't worked it to get into position. And we can look at Ireland's stats and the yellow and red cards. Their discipline is unbelievable, but it's because they work so hard for each other that they get into position early, that they can get into better positions to make those tackles and, and hits. And um, so it's it's that next level of fitness that, that they talk about in the Irish camp. And to follow on from that point on the defence, like Birch, six tries conceded in this Six Nations, four tries conceded in last year. That's 10 tries conceded across 10 Six Nations matches. That is based, that, like, that's giving you an, a platform realistically to win almost every game. Absolutely, yeah. And um, as Keith said, it's it's the worker. I think Simon Easterby deserves big credit. I spoke to Gary Ringrose um, after the November series about Simon. He said he's, he's phenomenal to work with. You know, um, you kind of sometimes get obsessed with the rugby league defence coaches, you know, the Sean Edwards, the Andy Farrells, the Kevin Sinfield. But I think Simon Easterby has... Now he's gone full-time defence. Obviously, he was doing uh, forwards and defence before Paul O'Connell came in. I think he's put his own shape on it. Um, and, and Ringrose said, like, he's someone who loves sitting down with the players and, and talking about situations and getting their opinion on it, getting their buy-in, giving his opinion, and then, you know, giving them licence to to go and, and do whatever um, whatever they, they agree is the, is the best way to defend. And you've seen, I think, even just take Gary Ringrose, you've seen him being way more aggressive defensively, you know, willing to jump out of the line. And unfortunately, you know, he got injured doing it against Scotland, but it does make us a little bit more unpredictable. And, and you know, it's kind of like the Saracens model where Saracens had the best defence for years in the Premiership, but the most missed tackles. And Ireland have a have a high enough percentage of missed tackles, but a very low uh, penalty count and a very low um, concession of try uh, rate, which is which kind of... It goes against the grain, really. Usually, if you're if you're missing tackles, that stresses the defense, and you're disciplined, or you or you can see tries. So it's that scramble, it's that work ethic. You see, you know, we've seen James Ryan, Andrew Porter, having high profile tackles on the edge where they're pushing a, a, an attacker into touch. You know, um, they're it's it doesn't it's not always perfect, um, but it's very effective, and it puts it sends the opposition into areas of the field that they're not really comfortable in um, and that allows us then get get key turnovers so I think Easterby deserves a lot of credit and also you know I think the attack you know we're talking about fitness for defence and, and that that's kind of where it all started but I think Ireland have actually you know focused on um, our work rate off the ball in attack as well so it's no coincidence that you know we're normally blindside attack you know, so what's happened the blindside tries we're getting are coming from rooks on the edge so we play off the edge um, and it opens up, a, say, a 50-metre blindside. It's the work rate of those players to get back up, to get deep enough, to scan, to see if there's an um, uh, if there's an overlap, get that information into the nine and then be able to go and actually execute it because it's not that easy. Like a 4v3 down a 50-metre channel, um, realistically, the defence probably should, should be able to deal with that using the touchline. But Ireland have, are very accurate in terms of Running inside shoulders, fixing really fixing the man, and then you know being able to give the pass, and even the one Matt Hansen mm. for Jack Conan against Scotland, just that double pump. You know what I mean? Like that's 
you know, he our wingers tend not to be the last guy on the edge. It's normally a forward, but our wingers are very good at, at making sure that they put that forward away. So uh, there's a lot of subtlety to it, um, but it takes a, a huge amount of of work rate as well to be able to have to play that two sided attacking game that we we do so well. And Dan Sheehan's second try on Saturday, that's a perfect example of that where it was only a phase or two beforehand where both Jack Conan and Sheehan were involved down the blind side. Ireland go, Ireland move back in field and all of a sudden pull it back out to the blind side again and it's Conan out to Sheehan and it's and it's a try and that was the game done. So we're talking about that that fitness, that decision-making back then. The bl- or, well, sorry, I just said it there. The big thing is it's this decision-making. Like this team is a very... So we, we, we could talk about fitness, all the different aspects. But when you're in that, the heat of the battle, to make really good decisions, like you can't just tell anyone, just, oh, just go back on the blind side there. They they get up, they reload back into position, they look up, but then they, they have that, they, they actually communicate it in to the scrum half. It's like, oh, here, come back down the blind here because there's a great opportunity. Um, and that's a really smart play. Like, but if, if they looked up and then they, they would see that the opposition wasn't there or there, there was an opportunity there to attack, you just not, you, you just see them then, okay, next job, I get on my bike and they get around the corner and they try and become that extra man on the far side. Um, but what, as Birch said there, it's like when they do make that decision making, they look up, they see what's in front of them, uh, they see there's an opportunity to attack as a 4v3, but then they also have that skill set to execute that, which is, it's, it, it's a very, hard thing to do and it, it doesn't just happen overnight there's a lot of work put into that yeah it certainly is I you, you've both mentioned discipline so far in this and it's probably a good thing to turn to now the Freddie Stewart red card for those who haven't heard this morning that's been rescinded officially it's downgraded to a yellow uh, in the statement from the Six Nations they say mitigating factors including the late change in dynamics and positioning of the opposing player were the main reasons for bringing that down to a yellow I, I don't really want to get too much into was it a, a yellow or was it a red it's been discussed at length now for a few days and Birch I know you were pretty adamant in what, in what you were saying on Monday night on against the head you didn't even think it was a penalty very quickly Keats what, what, what was your what was your thoughts on it at the time yeah I said it there and then I was on RT commentary and um, I said listen I can see with the current climate why it might be a red card but coming from a rugby perspective that is it's no way a, a red card like the ref said no mitigating factors. I was like, what? There's loads of mitigating. There was a knock on just previously before. Um, Hugo looks like he's going to pick it, pick it up and play it. So like as a, as a defender, you, you don't want to be, <laughs> you don't want to let that go either. So you can see um, Hugo's trying to pick it up, pretty sure it's coming up. And then your, your initial reaction is to, if someone's running at you, you have to like defend yourself. If he went to try and tackle him, it probably would have been even worse. So he, he just blocked himself. And listen, I completely feel like, yeah, I know Hugo Keenan got a, a, a shoulder to the head, but we have it's rugby. These things are going to happen. You can't ne- neglect all those incidents. Like that will happen in football if two guys go for a header and they, they clash heads. Like I, I, I just felt it was so harsh. Um, especially coming from a rugby background, you have to, you have to let that go. But I don't think the ref had a choice with the current climate. He, because there was, it was a, a head collision. If he's going by all the protocols, a kind of decision was kind of taken out of his hands. He he has to give a red. But yes, yeah, so just on that, Keats, I think I, I totally agree with you. I, I don't blame the referee at all, but I think, and I'm a 
totally behind making the game safer. And I think if you're if it's a normal tackle situation, if it's a clean-out situation and you have to go, and I don't believe in the 20... I don't care about the red card ruining games and I don't believe in the 20-minute red card that we're seeing Super Rugby that some people are saying, oh, that would have been perfect for this situation. No, but now and again, and like this is the only time in the Six Nations over how many games, whatever, um, 28, 30 games, that we've seen a situation like this. So for the people saying... Oh, do you, you're going to stop my Johnny playing rugby, you know? And I, and we have I didn't see it play last year in the Six Nations or the year before. So it's a very it's a freak incident that can happen in any contact sport, hurting GA basketball. It could happen in basketball, you know. Um, and that's it's just a fact of life. So I, I and I I don't want and people saying oh well you should go anyway. Well, if you're going to take accidental collisions out of out of the game, you're going to have players going out. You know, worried about being in an accident and maybe given a having a red card because of an accident. Like, you know, you talk about control, the control, control what you can control. Um, and you can control tackle, you can control a clean out. I don't think you can control this situation to, to that extent. And I think what this does do is it gives the next Jacko Paper referee a chance not to go into the protocols to actually make a, a good feeling and say, look, this is. This is a rugby incident, and that sounds such a uh, – I hate the word, but it's something that just happens, you know, every now and again. It's no active foul play. I don't need to go into the protocol system because if I do, I'm going to end up where we ended up at the weekend and a red card that obviously will be rescinded after. Yeah, just just the thing on that, I know the way they put it all up on the big screen and then you get all the crowd going, oh, like, and what's up? Like, do you think there should be a case where the, either the referee goes to a little boot so he can actually see it, probably like to do in football with the bar, yeah. because there's a big influence from the crowd. Or, or that I like that other rule in Super Rugby where you give the yellow card, and then he's off for ten minutes, and then if if it's when the TMO can look at it without the influence of a crowd independently, and he can upgrade it to it, just takes a lot of pressure off the referee. But if you're doing that, you need good TMOs. On the on the issue of the the screens, Keats, I do remember during COVID. I can't. I don't know was it at every ground, but certainly at a few of them. I I definitely remember it at Tolman Park and maybe a couple of others where, because there were no spectators in the ground, they didn't feel the need to actually have the big screens turned on. And when the referee was going to check something with the TMO, he was walking down to to check on a monitor at pitch side himself. So I'd be very curious to see what the referees preferred to look at it on a big screen or to have the. I suppose, the privacy of seeing it on their own. But to move it on and just the general issue of cards, and it's become fairly evident in the last two years that Ireland aren't finding themselves in a situation where they're sweating on incidents. Two yellow cards in 21 games. It's by a mile the cleanest record in the top level of rugby. I was crunching the numbers there. France have three yellows and two reds across the same period of time. That's the the closest to Ireland in the the fair play stakes, and then in the same time, New Zealand played twenty seven matches. They've had fourteen yellows and three reds. So there's clearly something that Andy Farrell and his coaching team, and what France's coaching team are doing as well. I know they've had a red card in this championship, but there's clearly something they're doing where they are avoiding ending up in situations where they're sweating on a player is going to be getting a yellow card or a red, and. It probably shows it's not really down to blind luck too much. No, it's not. It's not. Not. We're we'll probably go back to our two points that we made already. Is fitness. They don't. They they get themselves into really good defensive positions. They work hard. They work hard for each other. Even if there was a line break, remember Scotland made a line break there, 
um, and they just work back and they end up getting a turnover. So they, they trust themselves. There's a lot of trust in themselves. They're, they're like, right, we'll, we'll, we mightn't be, or, like, we'll, we'll work back in to get into good positions. If they make a line break, we'll, we'll scramble, we'll get there and we'll eventually get the turnover. So they've got that fitness and the, the work rate, but also I've said it already, they're, very, <laughs> they're a really smart team. From, from 1 to 15, 1 to 23, all that team, whoever comes in, they're very smart. They get, um, they make really good decisions on the pitch. You don't. There's no hot heads on the team. You would say there's no one who who would lose their lose their cool or get angry. Like they do it in a competitive anger, but they're so disciplined. And it, yeah, it it strives from the environment, the culture that Andy Farrell has created. But Joe Schmidt kind of started that. He was always talking about we can't give away over six penalties a match, otherwise we'll be we'll be conceding. So. Like I remember Axel always used to say, if you give away one penalty, you'll be inside your own half. Two penalties, you'll be inside your 22. Three penalties in a row, it's a try. Birch? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think it's phenomenal, the staff from, from an Irish point of view, but I also think it happens at the provincial level. I think our provincial teams, there's the odd red card, and remember, you know, uh, incident Bundy and incident Africa in round one, etc. But in general... In general, the Irish provinces aren't uh, are are very disciplined, particularly around head contact. I mean, the, the technique, and technique has always been something that I think it was originally the priority because we felt we weren't as big and strong as as some of our opponents, so we need to be technically better. Um, and that's just been drilled into uh players. And you see, you know, Sean O'Brien, you know, uh, doing that working with players on technique in Leinster. That's a specific role that Leinster have. Hugh Hogan did it beforehand. Um, but also Leamy is now back in Munster and he's come through, you know, that environment in, in Leinster, uh, Roddy Grant, etc. You know, uh, Ulster have a skills coach who part of his remit is contact skills. So the players are getting this, um, you know, week in, week out in the provinces as well. And it's a, it's a, it's, it sounds like such an obvious thing, but when you compare our discipline to others, um, and I do think I agree with Keith, some of us have been fit enough to make, coherent decisions um you know when you're under fatigue but I think also we are very strong on, on technique in this country. Who would have thought being able to keep 15 players on the pitch at all times is what the two best teams in the world are very, very good at doing. Um we are running out of time. I do want to obviously mention Johnny Sexton. I think it was an absolute privilege being in the Aviva Stadium and getting to witness the the ovation he got first of all when he kicked those first points of of Ireland's uh, of Ireland's scoreboard to to become the all time record point scorer, but the ovation, lads, when he was walking off the pitch, carried off on his shield pretty much after a after a mall falling in on top of him, just kind of it almost summed up the the career of Johnny Sexton quite nicely. Yeah, for me, he's the best Irish player of all time. That's that's clear now. Um, I hope it'll be. Without even uh, any question, if if he lifts a World Cup, um, this this autumn, uh, and and it's not just there's been some phenomenal players at the Wardy Green of Ireland, um, but I think I'm basing this around being lucky enough to have shared a dressing room with him, dressing room with him, the influence he has day to day, um, and even looking at Leinster, how how they actually went backwards when he left, you know, when he went to Racing for for two years. Um, they fell off, uh, off, off track, and he and when he came back, there was a huge amount of work to get him back to where they are now. Um, this Irish team, his leadership, the way he's evolved, um, his durability, 
Um, you know, it, it's it, it's phenomenal. Keith, you you were obviously top class ten as well. I mean, you'll be you'll have a better appreciation of, of what he's good at on the field. Um, but for me, um, for me, there's no question he's Ireland's greatest player. Yeah, I think his ability to to get everyone on the on the same wavelength. Like if you compare him like physically to like someone like Bowden Barrett, like like you could honestly say Bowden Barrett could probably like he's faster, like he could probably kick the ball further. But what Johnny Sexton's ability to do is to gel a team. Um so his work that he does during the week to get everyone on the same page as him is almost and what we used to see in his early part of his career, his, his loop arounds, like the ability to, like he, he knew that he wasn't the best sidestepper or, or anything like that. Um, but his ability to get guys to run into spaces, he could put guys away in spaces, but also he could create space for himself. It's, it's a very tough thing to do to get 15 guys on the same page as, as, as him. And that's why whenever like someone else comes in for Johnny, there is a drop off because Johnny has that ability to get everyone thinking the exact same way as he is and that is a phenomenal thing to do with with 15 individuals and other guys to come in so um i, I think that's his biggest biggest credit is the work that he does during the week talking to players and um, that competitiveness and to be able to get players on the same wavelength as him it's it's actually a really hard thing to do yeah and keith for me i think what's most remarkable is the fact that what in 2019 at the age of 34 a lot of people were probably writing him off and saying if Ireland are going to the next World Cup with Johnny Sexton as the starting 10, we're probably going to be in a bit of trouble. And he seems to, in those last three and a half years, have evolved his game even further. And to do so in his mid-30s, where he's now, he took on the captaincy, and if anything, that's probably enhanced his game even more than he already had. And realistically, at this moment in time, he's probably a better player now than he was back in 2019. Yeah, and that's probably credit to to Leinster and to Ireland. They they don't over him, overdo him anyway. Like like you can't see Sexton probably coming back playing for Leinster. And, well, he won't be obviously playing this week, but he'll be back for the European Cup. Um, if he has a niggle, they won't risk him at, at all. Um, so the like his ability to manage himself, uh, but also the 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 coaching staff, the 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 physical department in, in Leinster are very they 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 look after him well, but. Having saying that, when he he when he plays, he he delivers for them. So there, there's there's both sides to it. He they'll look after him, but when he does go, he, he he delivers. It's not like he needs game time to get back into it. So that's that's a lot of credit credit to to Johnny because a lot of people would need oh I need a game or two just to get back up to speed. But he seems to hit the floor running whenever he's he's out and he comes back. Well, we'll talk about him plenty more in the months to come ahead of the World Cup. We're pretty much out of time, guys. One final quick-fire question I want to throw your way. The the player of the championship candidates came out a couple of days ago. Caelan Doris, Mack Hansen, Hugo Keenan, Antoine Dupont, Damien Penno, and Thomas Ramos. In a word, who's your player of the tournament? Or do you want to do you want to write in an extra candidate who wasn't who wasn't uh, down on the, the short list? James Ryan for me. Keats? Mm. I'll go Hansen because it was all round play and nobody probably saw it coming so 
Dupont gets my vote, but I would I would have personally I would have written in James Ryan as what, what are you going to be right? I'm not going to be right. <laughs> I don't think you can pick someone who didn't win the the grand. Oh, no, you get me the license. Oh, you can't. Dupont has done a handful of the most ridiculous things I've seen in a rugby pitch in the last seven weeks alone. But I would agree. I thought James Ryan was Ireland's best player over the last uh, over the last five games. I think he's just brought his game to an entirely new level. But look, guys, we're completely out of time. Thanks a million for joining us. A reminder, if you want to hear a Six Nation, a Women's Six Nations preview, I'll be chatting to Fiona Coughlin and that podcast will be up tomorrow. But uh, for now on the RT Rugby podcast, we'll leave it there. Plenty of URC to come and we'll be chatting with that and looking ahead to the Heineken Champions Cup next week as well. Birch and Keats, thanks a million. We'll speak to you again soon.